You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Before we get into the book of Acts, thanks, Zach. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for your faithfulness and the story of your love for us and your patience with us, your kindness towards us is a story of you being a faithful God to a people who are often unfaithful to you. So we are thankful that there is more grace in you than there is sin in us. Even though our sin is tremendous, your grace is so much more. So I ask that we'll be so mindful of that today, that it will lead us to worshipful hearts that want to live lives that honor you, because we know that you're the one who loved us first, and that nothing can separate us from your love. So we are thankful to our faithful God understood in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to die for sinners, that he rose from the grave, that he ascended into heaven and one day will come again to make all things new. So we rejoice in that today. We take joy in that today. As we have all the churches this morning as they gather across Tallahassee, may the gospel be made clear. Lord, I ask to keep the enemy out of this place, out of our city, and allow the good news to go forward from Tallahassee to the ends of the earth. And we ask you for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, So we're going through the book of Acts right now. We just started in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and we're just working through this entire book of the Bible, an important New Testament book that really is the bridge between the Gospels, which is the first four books of the Bible that tells us the story of Jesus' life here on earth. And it's really the bridge between that and Paul's letters that are instructions to the church. So Acts really is a story of how we got here. It's a story of what God has done to let his good news go forward uh, to the rest of the earth. We are recipients here in Tallahassee of the reality that the good news went forward from these first disciples who saw Jesus rise from the grave. Uh, So we're gonna see some really neat things that took place as a result of the gospel uh, being made known and the resurrection of Jesus being not just believed but witnessed by these apostles. And it's a real treat to get a chance to have God's word and work through it together. We see it as a, a really a gift and a blessing that the creator of the universe has given his word to us. So we wanna be good stewards of that. Also, how awesome was Brian's baptism? Wasn't that awesome to see together? Fantastic, fired up, what an awesome morning. We just really give thanks to that. I know Brian, you have good friends here as well to celebrate with you. I had to have your fiance, Jerry, uh, baptize you. Just what an awesome morning. Just someone with a parent commissioning baptism. I'm ready to preach, so let's go. Acts chapter two. If you can't preach after that, you need to find a new job. Acts chapter two. We see this in verse 36, a little review from last week. Peter said this in his sermon, therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty. That's an important word. That's not a very popular word in our culture today. Kind of how can you really know what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me. No, Peter's saying we can know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. He actually is the one he claimed to be. He rose from the grave. He said, we're witnesses to these things. Then the response to that, to the crowd who was listening to Peter preach this sermon, says when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Something was going on inside of them. There was an uneasiness, there was some conviction, maybe some guilt. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, as as a response to the sermon he had preached, brothers, what should we do? How do we respond to that? Something's going on inside of me in my heart, like the guilt is real here. They had a realization of their sin and a realization of who Jesus was. That weight and that pain in your heart 
while also hopefully simultaneously realizing the grace and the peace that comes from knowing Jesus. I mentioned last week that John Wesley in London, centuries ago, talked about his conversion, and he talks about his heart being strangely warmed, that something was going on inside of him that caused him to trust in Christ, that there is a solution for the piercing in your heart. There's a solution for maybe the guilt or the shame, whatever it could be that you feel when you hear these messages, when you hear the message of Jesus, in other words. For your heart to actually be pierced is a good thing, figuratively pierced. It's a good thing. Because conviction is an important thing. Like we actually want this to happen in our lives and their question is, what do I do about it? Like here's the reality, here's how I feel, here's what I'm being made aware of. Peter, basically, what in the heck do we do? And Peter's answer was, be forgiven. It's available to you. Receive God's love. Be forgiven of your sin. And he says they need to do two things. And what he points them to is repentance and baptism. Repentance and baptism. See, repentance was the message of John the Baptist, who were told paved the way for Jesus. He was the prophet who was proclaiming the way of Jesus Christ. This really is the Messiah. He is the one. So turn from this world and turn to him. It was also the message of Jesus and the apostles. Repentance means to turn around, to turn from your ways. It's a theme throughout the Bible. Turn from allegiance to this world to a new allegiance in Christ. Just like John the Baptist before him, Peter's almost serving as the new John the Baptist. It's claiming now that they need to repent of their sins, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, because there's no Christianity without repentance. If it doesn't lead us to turn from this world our allegiance and give it to Christ, it means we're probably not understanding what God has done for us. Repenting, if you don't do that, it means you still believe there are other things that are worthy of your worship. Anytime I sin, which I'm ashamed to say is far too often, I'm believing the lies there's more to be gained by disobeying God than there is to be gained by obeying him, and that I need to go around God for what I'm looking for in my life rather than actually write to him. Peter's going to call them to repentance. But why baptize? Why is that in here? Do you have to be baptized like Brian was earlier in order to be saved from your sins? No, not at all. We are saved from our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. That is what saves us from our sins. But because now these Jewish people, they need to be associated with Jesus Christ. They need to be baptized in his name. It was a symbol of their repentance, of their new association. It's a new allegiance that's taking place here. And throughout Paul's writings, he emphasized that it's faith in Christ, period, that saves. It's Jesus alone that saves us from our sin. No work we can do, no good deed we can carry out. It is the grace of God through the death of Jesus Christ, dying a death in our place that we deserve, that saves us from our sins. But the great theologian F.F. Bruce wrote this, the idea of an unbaptized Christian is simply not entertained in the New Testament. See, these Jewish people are on a new figurative exodus journey. Rather than through the Red Sea like their ancestors, they're going to go through these waters, which will show them new life that is given in Christ. Josh Staley wrote that baptism commonly followed so closely on the heels of repentance and faith. The New Testament simply assumes that all believers have been baptized. 
Tom Schreiner points out the remarkable lack of discussion on the topic of the epistles and the epistles. When you read the epistles, as in Paul's letters, Peter's letters, you don't see a lot about baptism. So it might be easy to conclude, is it really that big of a deal then? Does it really matter? And Schreiner says this, it's striking that there is no sustained discussion of baptism in any of the epistles. He says, most likely, this is one of the greatest New Testament scholars in the world, because the New Testament authors were writing to those who were already believers and to whom the significance of baptism had been explained upon conversion. Paul wrote to the Galatian church, those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. You've received Christ, you're one with Christ. And this only makes sense, Schreiner's comment, if the earliest disciples were actually obeying Jesus' command at the very end of Matthew, we call it the Great Commission, to go make disciples of all the nations, and he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So since this took place, he's writing under the assumption that this has happened. Because baptism is a visible representation of the gospel and its effects in the life of God's people. The symbolism of being buried with Christ in the water and being raised with Christ to a new life that he gives us. So he goes on in verse 39. For the promise is for you, this promise of salvation, and for your children. What an incredible thing to know. It's a generational promise. To have the Tuckers up here and the Langstons with their children before you, a generational promise that this can be received and believed and passed on. Can faith be inherited? No, you have to believe for yourself. But can it be passed on? Absolutely. He says this promise is for you and for your children. It's not a fad, it's not temporary. And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. We're called to salvation. We're brought into the faith by the Lord. How amazing that nobody is too far off from the grace of God. Many who are far off from the Jews who aren't here gathering right now in other areas of this Middle East is the crowd he's talking to. To the person in this room today that thinks that maybe God's done with them or forgotten about them or they have too much shame or too many bad deeds they've committed to be included in the people of God. You know what's happening there is your heart is being pierced. Maybe something is growing inside of you that's, that's re- helping you realize your need for Jesus, your need to repent and trust in Christ, and I wanna let you know it's available to you. Like God's love does not go around you. Like it's for you right now, many who are far off. And the reality is every person in this room who claims to be a Christian, before you knew Jesus, you were in that, that count, you were counted as those who were far off but you aren't anymore. You've been brought near to God through Christ. That God in his grace would call us to salvation and bring us to himself. With many other words, verse 40, he testified and strongly urged them. He's not making suggestions here because he believes that Jesus rose from the grave. He actually really believes these things to be true. And if Jesus actually did rise from the grave, it means we should believe and trust every single thing that Jesus has said about himself. And what's one thing he said? That he's the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. That God in his love has provided the way for us. So he tells them, be saved from this corrupt generation. Be saved from it. Don't give your allegiance to it. Give it to Jesus instead. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. How incredible is that? Their hearts were pierced. 
They believed the good news. Peter spoke without compromise, spoke with true conviction, pointed them to Jesus away from this world, away from themselves. 3,000 people were baptized. How amazing would that be to see that happen in Tallahassee? As we said a couple weeks ago when we first talked about the Holy Spirit descending in the lives of God's people, the same Holy Spirit that filled those people is the same Holy Spirit that fills us today. It's no different. It is absolutely possible to see these things happen in our city and to see these things happen around the world. So the word for corrupt in the ancient New Testament language, he says be saved from this corrupt generation, can also be translated as crooked. Crooked as opposed to the straight and narrow way of Jesus. Jesus said this about himself, fulfilling a prophecy, that every valley, Luke 3, will be filled, every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. There is a straight and narrow way to heaven, and it comes through Jesus. And here he's begging these people to not be on the crooked road that is of this world, but to repent of that and to go with Jesus. The promise is for this generation and the many to come. We're recipients of this promise. This is generations and generations and generations, and even more than that, from us removed. And the promise is still for us here today and for all those who are yet to come. But what makes this difficult to talk about and to connect with people regarding Jesus is that no one really thinks they're corrupt or crooked. Because they do things the right way and they're, you know, they're honest folks and they try hard and they work hard and they provide for their families and they try to be moral and just try to do the right thing. And was it Luke Bryan who said, I believe most people are good, write that song? I believe most people are good. And honestly, I think he's right. I agree with him. I do believe that most people are good. By the standards of this world. But God does not judge us based on the standards of this world. He judges us based on himself. And he is holy and perfect and any sin we commit makes us incompatible with him. That is why Jesus, who never sinned, ever, is the only one eligible to be the one who can die in our place for our sins. I can't die for your sins, you can't die for my sins, because we have our own sins to be accountable for. But Jesus, who never sinned, could be that eligible one to stand in our place, and he did. So because we believe that most people are good, and as long as we're keeping up with kind of the moral version of the Tallahassee Joneses, right, we just feel good about ourselves, so what's the solution, we think, to be, you know, maybe saved from this crooked and corrupt generation? Maybe it's, it's, do, more, it's do more good deeds. It's try harder. Maybe it's get back to church more often. Maybe it's be a little more generous. Have more balance in your life. Be more disciplined. Maybe clean up your act a little bit. Juice more things in the morning to drink, whatever it might be. And all of these things would be fine as the answer if Jesus hadn't died and rose again. Because if we could just figure this out ourselves and have our own solutions, all the things that Peter just talked about would be unnecessary and pointless and not worth our time. Galatians, Galatians 2.21 says that if 
Righteousness can be attained by keeping the law, by just doing the right things, and Jesus died for nothing. It sounds blasphemous even to say that, doesn't it? That Jesus died for nothing? If we can keep going backwards, then Christmas is pointless. Let's just celebrate winter. Then Easter really makes no sense. But since righteousness can only be attained through Jesus, through his righteousness given to us that God freely gives us in Christ, then every single thing we do matters. Because we're responding to the good news of what God has done for us. It's an amazing reversal of the Old Testament to the New Testament, how it really just is in sync together. 3,000 people come to faith in one day. At Sinai, 3,000 people in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, died in judgment for their rebellion against God. 3,000 people. And here we are seeing 3,000 made new and alive in Jesus in one day. How did this go forward? They're an evangelistic church. They were a church that loved others enough to want to declare the good news. They actually believed these things to be true. It wasn't a hobby or a good luck charm or a spiritual fix or a nice thing for the kids. They believed this to actually be true. And because of that, we see this, that they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The apostles' teaching, as in from the word, from the scriptures, have been largely from the Old Testament and from their encounters with Jesus as the whole New Testament had not been completed yet, to the fellowship, to the life of the congregation and the church, to the breaking of bread, uh, which was the Lord's Supper, uh, not less than that, but also more than that, coming together for meals and that time gathering together, and also to prayer, which I believe is the greatest form of worship, is for us to, to declare our dependence upon God in prayer. And we see that everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs being performed through the apostles. Again, the New Testament had not been completed yet. So to validate the message, we said last week, to kind of give them their blue check mark, to verify it was legit. God in his grace and sovereignty and power was allowing them to perform some miracles to, to validate the things that they were saying. We see that now all the believers were together and held all things in common. That does not mean that every single one of them liked to golf or fish or liked baseball or read the same blogs. Or it, it, it means that they had Jesus in common, which the significance of that trumped over all other things. And look what they did. Again, this is all a response. They sold their possessions and their property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Because this gospel is gonna go forward. They had a big missionary endeavor in front of them. Others were canceled out from their families for turning to Christ, seen as betraying the family name. They lost their jobs, they had nothing. And here's a church coming together to say, we are going to believe actively that the resources we have are mission ammunition to take the gospel forward. So every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And because of that, what is God doing in his faithfulness? Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved which is why they were setting out to do all this to begin with, 
because they believed in this good news that it had to go forward to the people and it was worth their very lives. So that's really just kind of a summary paragraph on the life of the first church. They have the message of Jesus, they have the unity that's brought together by the Holy Spirit that brings people of different backgrounds, preferences, interests together as one. It's brought a people together to carry out Acts chapter one, verse eight, where Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. You're gonna go to the ends of the earth with this good news. John Stott, the longtime pastor in London, he summarizes the first church we just read from Acts, from verse 46, he says, they were a learning church. It's important for us to learn, to know, to understand what it is the Bible actually has to say. Disciples are learners, we're, we're students. That does not mean you have to see your faith merely academically, but it means we must be people who are committed to learning, to understanding the scriptures. That's why we love going through books of the Bible here, not exclusively, but we think it's very important to do that so we can really learn and know and understand what the Bible has to say. They were a loving church. They weren't receiving very much love from the world, but they had love from God, most importantly, and they had a love for each other. They were a loving church doesn't mean they never had conflict, just like any brothers would have conflict sometimes. Spiritual brothers are not removed from that. They'd have disagreements, as we'll see as Acts goes forward. They were committed to each other because God was so committed to them. They were a worshiping church, mostly understood through their commitment to prayer, to gathering together, to seeking God for his wisdom, praising God for his greatness, for his glory and they were an evangelistic church, one that was committed to going forward with this good news. And the reality is that the church collectively won't be what you aren't devoted to personally. Like what you might want the church to be is not going to be that unless you are willing to be that. Because the church is a people who are committed together as a body and the question I ask myself, and one thing I always do first when I write a sermon is I preach to myself before I preach to anybody else. I think I need it more than anyone else. It is, and I really mean that, it's not some kind of false humility, I need this more than anybody. The question when I read this is, what am I devoted to? Like what am I really, actually devoted to? Like truly, like in my life. And I think it's okay to be devoted to several things, but what are we, in terms of our allegiance and our worship though, what am I devoted to? Because God puts responsibilities on our plates and gives us things that we're called to, to do faithfully. But what am I devoted to? And right now, I think in our, our community, in our city, we have a, people, a lot of people who are really devoted to things, but oftentimes not that devoted to Christ. Maybe they are intellectually or through their tradition or through their ideals, but like what, what about our lives? Ray Ortland, just a gift of a pastor in Nashville, just retired. If you ever just wanted to just read stuff for your soul that would just, just really encourage you in Christ and point you towards Christ and also challenge you, uh, I'd recommend picking up some books by Ray Ortland. He wrote this, and he's not being harsh here. He's just, telling us, he's just telling us the truth of the Christians and what it looked like to be devoted. So don't, don't feel condemned by me when I say this. This is for us just to think together about these things. Because we don't, 
I, I think we just need to push the envelope a little bit more about what it actually means to follow Jesus. Because as the world gets more hostile towards the faith, I, I, which happens day by day, I think Christians need to examine ourselves and see where our devotions actually lie if we're gonna make it in the long haul. So Ray wrote this, when the early believers, who we just read about, converted to Christ, it never occurred to them to fit him into the margins of their busy lives. They redefined themselves around a new immovable center. He was not an optional weekend activity along with the kids' soccer practices. They put him and his church and his cost, cause first in their hearts, first in their schedules, first in their budgets, first in their reputations, and first in their very lives. In other words, as Acts says, they devoted themselves. It's not profound, that quote. It's pointing us back to Acts, and the result of that devotion is what God used to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, including here in Tallahassee. Like we have to move beyond in our city if we're gonna see a movement of God, Christianity being merely a hobby or a family tradition and actually see it as a conviction that pierced our hearts that Jesus really is the one he claimed to be. I ask that for myself and I ask that for all of us. There was unmistakable evidence that the Holy Spirit was being poured out on God's people, that God was with them, that he was working and that this was worth their very lives. And currently right now in kind of social media culture and a lot of the political angst that's out there. There's kind of an anti-church movement taking place. Uh, there's groups called like ex-evangelicals and people deconstructing and, and uh, more times than not it really is tied to I wanna do what I wanna do with my life and not have anyone question it. But it doesn't mean the church is perfect by any means. The church has had a lot of flaws across the world for, for a long time. But we serve one who isn't flawed. And we serve one who is perfect. And the one who is perfect and who is faithful is the one that gave us the church as the design to go forward. So the devotion that these people had, it led to disciples being made. And the world changed. One thing I love about our church, and we're far from a perfect church because I'm the pastor, uh, but uh, is that we have guests come here a lot, like maybe other pastors from other churches to visit, maybe speak, just kind of neat things like that. And they always, every single time, comment on how devoted the people, how devoted they seem. How they're there, how they're saying hello, they're serving coffee, they're serving in kids. Like, I have people tell me regularly, never lose your volunteer culture. How our church is generous, how we have this big, huge, massive vision of let's go and God in his grace used you to provide those resources for us to reach the financial goal we had to go forward. Like that's what the devoted life looks like and I thank you for it. And we need to see this gospel continue to go forward in Tallahassee. Erasmus, years ago, wrote this about the book of Acts. The grain of the mustard seed was slowly emerging, soon to spread its branches over the whole world. That's what was stirring in that room as the believers devoted themselves and prayed together and proclaimed the good news and loved one another and chose Jesus over this world, and believed Jesus was their greatest treasure, that believed this mission had to go forward and had to go out because Jesus rose from the grave, meaning it was true. And that seed was starting to spread. And little did they know, maybe they knew, I don't know, 
that its branches one day would go out and cover the whole world. It's not enough the world that's covered. There's still people who have never heard. There's still places that don't have a Bible in their language. That's why we give so much to missions here. We believe this gospel is good news. We want it to get to the ends of the earth. We are thankful that it came to us. We have friends and family in Tallahassee who still don't know, who still don't believe, and our prayer is that their hearts will be pierced and they will understand their need for God and they'll understand that God has richly provided that need through Jesus Christ to be the one who died for their sins or reconcile them to himself. But how amazing that these first Christians who had their own flaws and we'll see them as Acts goes forward. This was not a perfect bunch. They were a believing bunch. They said, we believe these things to be true about Jesus. Therefore, he's not worth our hat tip. He's not worth our quick prayer. Like, he's worth our lives. May it be so of all of us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful to our faithful God that you brought a people together who were witnesses of the resurrection to devote themselves, to proclaim the good news, just ordinary people, they saw 3,000 people come to faith in one day and that message went forward. Lord, we're recipients of it today. How amazing that you want your people to know who you are and to know and understand your love and be reconciled to you and received by you. Lord, as you continue to call people to yourself, Lord, I ask that calling go across Tallahassee. Those here today maybe who are unsure, been disconnected or Maybe they've only seen faith as a tradition or a family thing or a good luck charm. Lord, I ask you to pierce their hearts to see that it is worth their devotion of their lives because of how devoted you are to us. Let us learn to love because you loved us first and let us believe with conviction, with certainty that you are the risen Messiah, the risen King and worthy of our lives. We're thankful for second chances and for forgiveness and for reconciliation and for love. We're thankful for Jesus. Please fill us with the Spirit. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.